Titus chapter 2, we begin, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. Quick show of hands. How many tonight are 25 years of age and younger? Raise your hand up. 25 and younger. Now, don't lie. You're in church. 25 and younger. Okay. Uh, 25 to 35. Raise your hand. 35 to 45. Raise your hand. Interesting. Now, 45 to 55. Now, I don't want to embarrass you. Maybe we should just stop right there. But... Tonight, we're going to study the first four verses of Titus chapter 2, and I've called this Growing Old with Class, because we have a portrait of someone who does that. The admonitions, if they are followed in this chapter, would help a person to do exactly that. Now, somebody before the service said, what are you going to teach on tonight? And I said, Growing Old with Class. And they said, well, you can't use any personal examples. I thought either he means I'm not growing old or I have no class. I don't know exactly what he meant by that. (laughs) Growing old is a growing fear among lots of people. In fact, I think if you were to poll the average person, that's one of their greatest fears is growing old. These, of course, are people who aren't growing old because they find that when you do start to age, it's not as bad as it seems. It seems that when you're younger, you can't trust anybody over 30. I remember saying that all the time. You know, 30 years old is such an old person, I thought. Ancient. I have a much different perspective now that I'm turning 40 in a couple months. Very, very different. I think, oh, 30, those young people. But growing old is an inevitability of life. It happens to every person. That's the cycle of life doesn't matter how much you nip and tuck and do surgery and dye your hair or take the one strand and do the (laughs) cinnamon roll effect. We're all aging, aren't we? According to the National Institute of Aging, Americans live longer now than at any other time in history. And there's some interesting statistics of what's on the horizon in our country as far as aging. Over 87 million Americans will be 65 years old or older. 87 million will be 65 or older by the year 2040. By the year 2000, the age 65 and older will be one-fifth of the population of our country. Surgeon General... 
C. Everett Koop, who was our Surgeon General, he said, quote, of all the people that ever turned 65 in the United States of America, half of them are still alive. We expect by the year 2020 that we'll have 100,000 people who are 100 years old. Economists and social and health planners say we're going to be loaded by this tremendous debt of old people. But on the other side of the coin is that these old people are going to be healthier. The next generation, elderly, are the joggers, the swimmers, the dieters, and the low-cholesterol people. They're the ones that have yogurt and salads for lunch. Hence, people will stay older for a longer period of time. That's why he said one-fifth of the population will be 65 and above. The Bible calls aging the way of all the earth. That's a great phrase. It's the way of all the earth. Everybody does it. It's nothing to be ashamed of. And I think this country has really twisted things and does not give enough deference and respect to the resource of age. It sees it as a liability instead of an asset. Moses was 120 when he died. And he died full of vigor, the Bible says. When Job died, in Job 42:17, it records, And so he died old and full of years. Interesting phrase. Well, what did he die of? He died full of years. <laughs> Comes a time when you just have so many years that it's over with. He died full of years. Yet, age seems to be matters of perspective. Have you noticed that some people grow old before their time? I know people in their 20s that they act so old. Then I know older people that act very, very young. They're great to be around. They have a young outlook. It's often a matter of perspective. Jacob was 130 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, how old are you? He said, I'm 130 years old. Few have been the years of my life. Or to put it in his words exactly, few and difficult have been the years of my life. Now, that's an interesting thing for a 130-year-old man to say, just a few years. And then he went on to say, I lived just a portion, a fraction of the time as my forefathers lived who were before me. When David died in First Chronicles 29, it's recorded, he said, my years, excuse me, he died at a good old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. His son Solomon succeeded him as king. Good old age. What is a good old age? And it seems to be a difference between one person and another person who might be exactly the same age, young, middle-aged, or older. There is such a difference in the way people age. You can age with class. I think of Caleb. I think of Anna in the temple, Simeon, Daniel. And I look at their examples and I think, I want to be like that when I get to be their age. Those are great examples. Then there are others who see age sort of like Solomon saw it. In the 12th chapter of Ecclesiastes, he looks at it this way. He called old age days of years when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Some of you can relate to one of the stories called The Duration of Life out of Grimm's Fairy Tales. It goes like this. God originally determined 30 years as the ideal span of life 
for all animals, including mankind. The donkey, the dog, and the monkey considered it much too long, however, and begged God to reduce their years by 18, 12, and 10. Being healthy, vigorous, and somewhat greedy, the man asked to be given those extra years, God agreed, so man's years totaled 70. The first 30 are his own, and they pass quickly. The next 18 are the donkey years, during which he has to carry countless burdens on his back. Then come the dog years, 12 years when he can do little but growl and drag himself along. This is followed by the monkey years, his closing 10 when he grows rather strange and does things that make children laugh. Now, all of that aside, the Bible sees age entirely different. It sees it as an asset for the youth, not a deficit. And here, I think, in this chapter, it brings it out. Now, chapter 2 is a list of personal instruction given by Paul to young Titus, who's on the island of Crete. Paul's instructions to Timothy and Ephesus were very much the same. He speaks about raising up leadership in verse 5 because false prophets have come into the church starting in verse 6 all the way down to the end of chapter 1. And then he turns from the negative to the positive and he says, Okay, young Titus, you speak sound doctrine and you speak these individual instructions to all these different ages, young men, old men, young women, old women, and slaves in your church. And that's sort of the outline of the chapter. Older men are addressed in verse 2. Older women in verse 3 and 4. Younger women in verse 4 and 5. Younger men in verses 6 through 8. Slaves in verses 9 through 10. And then there's general instructions for everyone. Now it's interesting that particular attention is given to the different age groups here. And yet not exclusively but inclusively. That is, he's not separating them. He's just saying that you encourage these different age groups in different ways. But they're all together in your church. I think it is important to recognize that more than segregation and isolation that it can sometimes breed, we need to be integrated as a church. Now, the the typical church programs and patterns are this. You have an over 50 group. You have an under... 30 group, you have a 30 to 40 group, you have a 20 to 25 group, you have singles and you have marrieds, and we constantly divide people. I see some merit to that, but it is a very limited merit. It's wonderful to get together with people who are like you. But I think you grow more with people who are different than you. I've often said that I think one of the best things for single people is to be around married people. And the best thing for married people is to be around single people. And for the old to be around the young and the young to be around the old because we sometimes isolate ourselves and we polarize because of that. We can become elitist in our group. We can think this is all the problems of the world. I think for a single person who thinks, oh, if I could only get married, it'd just be wonderful. Hey, hang out with married people. Watch their lives. I think then you will approach dating and marriage with a little more sober-minded attitude. And I think it's good for married people to think, oh man, I remember when I was single. It was such a good life. I was so free. Really hang out with single people. And listen to what they desire and what they want. You may forget how you used to feel. 
and the young and the old alike. In fact, in Psalm 148, verses 12 and 13, David spoke about the congregation that worshipped. He said, young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. Now, all of these teachings together in this chapter form what he calls in verse 1, sound doctrine. He says, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. As we mentioned last time, the word sound that he uses so often in this book is the equivalent of the English hygiene. It could be translated safe, healthy doctrine. Safe and healthy. Good, sound, healthy doctrine. What germs are to the physical body, false doctrine is to the spiritual body. Thus, it's never to be taken lightly. If you think it is, just go back and read over chapter 1, and you'll see what Paul thought about it. Any pastor, any pulpiteer, any teacher, anyone who speaks as a Christian speaker, as a Christian teacher, owes it to the people that he speaks to to speak truth, the balance of truth, to encourage people in the truth, to sometimes admonish people in the truth, but never with the motivation to just make people feel good, to get them coming back next time. That's always a poor motivation. It'd be like a doctor who has somebody coming to him and says, Doctor, I have pain. Well, hey, I'll give you a painkiller. Well, aren't you going to find out why I have the pain? No, who cares about why you have the pain? Let's just take some aspirin and take something stronger. That would not be a good physician. A good doctor wants to find out why. And so someone who is a Bible teacher or a pastor must speak the truth, not just speak things to make people feel good, to take away their pain. Sometimes that pain is necessary to drive them to the right cure. It could be that they're not saved. It could be that they have sin in their life that needs to be repented of. That might not be a pleasant message, but it happens to be the truth in many cases. Now, many preachers today would disagree with verse 1. In fact, they think that sound doctrine is both undesirable and impractical. Uh, we are seeing the emergence of the user-friendly church. Pastors are strategizing now, thinking, okay, uh, we've got to figure out ways to get people in the church. Let's see, let's not mention Jesus much. Let's sing a bunch of secular songs and just pat people on the back and have five-minute sermonettes. One Christian author wrote in speaking about his plan to change his appeal to get more people into his church. He said, I'm going to try to do better next year. That means wasting less time listening to long sermons and spending much more time preparing short ones. People I have discovered will forgive even poor theology as long as they get out before noon. Now, what you are doing in that approach is saying, I will condescend to the lowest level of the most carnal person in the congregation, rather than saying, let me lift that person up to a higher level. That's really the motivation. And so, Paul says, Titus, when you speak, speak things that are healthy, sound doctrine, that will promote spiritual health for the body of Christ. And It's interesting that he speaks about old and young people in the church right off the bat. In the individual cases, the old and the young teach them to be like this. And he gives them character traits. These things then form sound doctrine for individual believers within the church. First on the list are the old men and the older, I should say older men and the older women. Now I've said before at the beginning of this study 
that age in our country is seen as a burden rather than a blessing. I've got to say I'm ashamed of our country for that. When I compare it to other countries who esteem their aged rather than see them as a burden, the Bible sees them as a blessing. Job was having a conversation with younger men than himself. And at one point in the conversation, he said, Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? David saw his age as a chance, not an obstacle, a chance to pass down vast, deep experiences that he had with God to younger people who hadn't quite lived the way he lived. In one of his psalms, Psalm 71, David said, When I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all those who are to come. Let me paraphrase that. Give me ministry in my old age, God. Give me ministry in my old age. I have lived, I have seen, I have tasted your power, and I've got a lot to share with those young people who haven't yet seen it and haven't quite experienced it. Give me ministry in my old age. In Psalm 92, he spoke of the contribution of the aged. He said, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. I think that's the implication also in Psalm 1. When David talked about they shall be the righteous like a tree planted by the rivers of waters that brings forth fruit in its season and its leaf also does not wither. They continually bear fruit even in old age. Proverbs 16, Solomon said, Gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained by a righteous life. A couple months I'm going to turn 40. I started pastoring here when I... Well, I started pastoring when I was about 25. I was teaching the Bible when I was about 21, 22 in churches. I meet people who haven't seen me for a while now and they look at the sides of my hair and they see that it's getting silver. Uh, the blonde has sort of covered it up in the past, but it's covering it up less and less. They go, you know, you've got a lot of gray hairs. They kind of smile when they say that. I don't know why that makes them feel so good, but <laughs> the big smile, you're getting a lot of gray hair. I've earned every one of them. Here it says that it's a crown of glory and it's attained by a righteous life. I don't know about that, but God's been good. Um, I think it's time, however, to appreciate senior saints. And let me just admonish those who are younger. Tap into the resources of an older person who's walked with Christ for a long time. Uh, Find out the ups and the downs, the ins and the outs. Sit down and chat with them. They have a wealth of experience generally if they've walked with Christ for a number of years that they can share with you. General Douglas MacArthur, when he was 75 years old, wrote this in his journal. He said, in the central place of every heart, there is a recording chamber. So long as it receives messages of beauty, hope, cheer, courage, so long you are young. When the wires are all down and your heart is covered with the snows of pessimism and the ice of cynicism, then and only then have you grown old. I think the older people in the fellowship are a treasure house of wisdom and information if they have walked with Christ. They certainly have experience behind them. Verse 2, it speaks to the older men. He says, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. First of all, verse 2, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, 
sound in faith, in love, and in patience. First on the list is he is to be sober. Um, It means more than not drunk, though one of the worst things is an old drunk. The idea here is that he lives a moderate life. He has lived to the extent that he can discern and he can judge what is important. He's not indulgent. He's not extravagant. He can think clearly. That's the idea behind somebody who is sober. Uh, An older person, if he grows old with class, has learned what often young whippersnappers have not learned. And that is priorities. Priorities get very changed in life. And they change as you get older. The older person looks at the younger person who sees a thousand things he can accomplish and ten thousand things he ought to own. And what's important, and he's after this and after that. A person who's lived a good, long, godly life can set things in perspective. He's seen philosophies come and go. Uh, ideas for utopia come and go. He's a tempered person. He's a filtered person. He has eternal values. He knows that God is important first. Relationships with family and friends is a close second. And evangelizing the world, of course, follows on that. He sees those as priorities. There was a survey taken recently of people who are over 95 years old. And they asked him this question. If you could live life all over again, what would you do differently? Very simple, open-ended question. Three of the top answers, three of the most frequent answers. Number one, if I could live my life all over again, I would reflect more. That is, I'd think more. That's the idea of being sober, thinking clearly, reflecting on what's important. Secondly, I would risk more. Take more risks. Not get caught in a rut of mediocrity. Three, I would do more things that would live on after I'm dead. Those are eternal values. So, encourage Titus, the older people, the old men, to be sober. Secondly, to be reverent. The Greek word here is semnos. It means worthy of respect. Reverent. Worthy of respect. Not frivolous or flippant. That doesn't mean that the older you get, the more boring you should become. That is not the idea of reverent. Reverent simply means that he's looked long and hard at life, and he sees that there's a serious side to it. It's not all flippant. It's not all frivolous. It it matters. He's seen enough heartaches. He's stood at enough graves, enough hospital beds. He's seen enough loved ones die. By this time, he's probably buried his parents, brothers and sisters even, perhaps. He knows that there is that serious side of life, and because of that, he lives life very, very differently. Um, I found something out of Reader's Digest quoted from Bruce Canton's book, Waiting for the Morning Train, and he was talking about the sense of old versus young and the difference. I think he captured the sense of the passage. He said, early youth is exactly like old age. It is a time of waiting for a big trip to an unknown destination. The chief difference is that youth waits for the morning limited and age waits for the night train. He thinks differently. It's the end of his life. It's not the beginning of his life. Think of Daniel. Now, Daniel's a great example. He's in his 80s. He's about 86 years old, almost 90 years of age, and he lived life very soberly. He was given a command not to pray to any other god except the gods of Babylon. So what does he do? He opens his 
Windows three times a day, faces Jerusalem, and he prays. He knows that his life's in danger, but at this point he doesn't care. He sees there's a serious side of life. He's made his priorities. He's sober and he's reverent. He says, hey, I've got to please God here. Not men. I'm going to be all of eternity in God's presence. I'm going to please him now upon the earth. That's sober and that is reverent. Next on the list is temperate. If you have a new international version, it says self-controlled. The word means to possess yourself. Self-mastery. It's a word used five times in the book of Titus. What it means is this. The older you get, if you're growing old with class as a Christian, the fleshly appetites don't control you. You are marked by one who controls them. You are not given to the indulgences and the urges of the flesh. Self-control. You've mastered yourself. Or God has control of you. Some of those traits that you remember as a young person, impulsiveness, um, maybe even insensitivity or instability, have been converted. You're a much more settled kind of a person. Tim Stafford is one of my favorite authors because he's around my age, but he's got such a great perspective of young and old. He's written several books um, for several Christian organizations. And he said this, He said, we have a hard time valuing old age because we misunderstand what life, either young or old, really is. We were created to glorify God, said Stafford. Life is prayer. Life is loving. Life is graciously accepting our circumstances with joy and reflecting God's goodness through it all. An elderly person who, in spite of suffering and disability, is more concerned about loving others is the best demonstration of this truth. Allowing people to grow old is not a mistake on God's part. He intends for that to happen to us so we can learn what life is and what life is not. The older you get, you know, you get to a certain point where you think, Lord, it's, it's just getting to the point where I'm understanding this. You know, it's like I should live another few hundred years now to apply all that I've learned. I really understand what life is and what life isn't. Temperate, self-controlled. Next on the list, sound in faith. Now remember the word sound could mean healthy or hygienic. So you could call this healthy faith or healthy trust. That's really the idea here. This is a person whose trust is strong because he's lived a life of trusting God. I think a person who's grown up trusting the Lord in the difficult times Trusting God for groceries, for rent, for direction, for family, for what college their kids are going to go to, what they're going to do. Toward the twilight years, they have a sound or healthy kind of a faith. Because you could ask them and they'll testify you, hey, listen, I'm not going to argue with God. God's been right all along. I've trusted him and he's proved himself faithful. All things truly do work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It's healthy faith. It's tried faith. And you can say at the end, God really works. This is the kind of a person who's quit blaming God. He's not shaking his fist anymore. God, why would you allow this? He trusts God's sovereignty. God has proven himself. And healthy faith is active faith. You know, somebody told me early on as a Christian that your faith is like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. If you don't exercise it, 
you become a spiritual wimp, basically. And so you exercise your faith. You begin trusting God for this, and you go, hey, look, this really paid off. I'm going to trust God for a little bit more and then a little bit more. It's active faith. One Christian author said, we need passion in our faith. Instead of praying, if I should die before I wake, we should pray, Lord, wake me up before I die. (laughs) Good perspective. Get a move on with your faith. Caleb was 85 years young, and he was ready for another 85. He stood as he came across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. He said, Joshua, you remember how everybody died in the wilderness except us two because we trusted God a long time ago? He said, that was 40 years ago. I'm 85 years old today, and I feel as fit as I did 40 years back. I want the mountain that I came here for. Give it to me. Just tell me that I can have it, and I'll run those giants out. He's an 85-year-old ready to fight, ready to move the enemies of God out of the land. I want to grow old like that. That is sound faith. At 85, he can trust God. He's not whining. He's not whimpering. He's not complaining. He's not saying, woe is me. He's saying, let me at him. That's great. Then he should also be sound in love, as we read about in verse 2. Sound in faith and in love. He should have healthy love. I think a lot of what people call love is unhealthy love. It is sad, but one of the characteristics of age is bitterness. We've all known people who, when they grow old, become selfish, crotchety, and bitter. There's nothing worse than a bitter old man. That is unhealthy love. That is not sound love. On the other hand, it is just as unhealthy, I think, to have a syrupy kind of sentimental love. It's not really love at all that would bypass dangerous things in the name of love who would say, oh, let's just tolerate false doctrine. Who cares? Listen, they're so well-meaning. That's sloppy agape. That's not sound love. What parent would say when their son says, Mommy, Daddy, can I play in the freeway? No, you can't. Oh, please, I'll cry and throw a fit if you... Okay, just listen. Just be careful and look both ways for the Mack trucks. Go ahead. (laughs) He'd say, that's a, a wretched parent. That's not love. You're right, it's not love. That'd be, that'd be a crime any more than a Christian who would say, yes, we have to love people, so we'll just let them take any dangerous teaching, any dangerous doctrine and play with it. Who cares? Don't admonish it. Don't speak out against it. That's not true love. Sound love. Tested love. Not bitter, but not sentimental. True biblical love. Then sound in patience. Next on the list is patience. Now, if you have a, a, a modern translation, you see the word endurance. That really is a better rendering. Someone who has grown old in the Lord should display endurance. And the word here in Greek is hupomone, and it means to bear up under or to abide under. And it means a person who has borne up under the strains and the load of life And is not a quitter, does not run and hide his head, but still trusts, still loves, and still clings tenaciously to the Lord. He's held his ground. He's not a quitter. He's endured tough circumstances. Some of you remember Chariots of Fire when uh, Harold Abrahams was trying to run through his paces. And in one of the trial meets in the movie and the book, he failed. He didn't win. 
And he walked over to the bleachers and he was pouting and he had his, you know, hands down and his girlfriend came and tried to encourage him and he said, you know, with all of this pride of an athlete, he said, if I can't win, I won't run. And she looked at him with great big eyes of love and said, you know, if you don't run, you can't win. She turned it around. He said, if I can't win, I won't run. She said, if you won't run, you can't win. And she pushed him to keep going, and he eventually won the 1924 gold medal in the Olympics for the 100 meter. Someone who's grown old in the faith should be able to experience and exhibit this endurance, this patience that the Bible speaks about. Generally, this is a mark, I've noticed, of older Christians. They're tempered by experiences. And by the way, one of the ways, in fact, the principal way that a person gets patience is through hardship, suffering. If you want to be a patient person, I mean, I'm sure that some of you who are young and even middle-aged, you kind of say, man, that's one thing I really need is patience. God, please give me patience now. <laughs> well, i got to tell you something. You won't get patience by going to a Christian bookstore and buying the latest book on how to have patience. You get it by suffering. That's what the Bible tells us. In Romans chapter 5, we read, we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, endurance, patience. That's how you get it. I've told you before about the young man that went to the older man and said, my biggest problem is I have no patience. Would you please pray that I get patience? The older man said, certainly, Lord, please send this young man fiery trials and tribulation, heartache and suffering in Jesus' name. He said, wait a minute, I, I asked you to pray for patience. He said, that's right. The Bible says tribulation worketh patience. That's how you get it. An older person should be marked by the temperament, being tempered through all of the fire, all of the pain. They haven't quit. They've got the age lines to prove it. They've got the character deep in their heart and deep in their life of someone who's walked with God through young, old, good, and bad. All right. In verse 3, we come to the uh, older women. And uh, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time because we see the word likewise in that verse. Older women likewise. In other words, everything that I just said about the older men, likewise, is to be applied to the older women. However, there's a few additions. That they be reverent, which we already covered, reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Not a slanderer. In other words, the woman, as she gets older, should not be marked by someone who is a gossip, who uses destructive speech to cut other people down. Uh, she should be marked by a grace, a love, to build up other people, not to rip them apart. Not a slanderer. Um, not a lush. That's a loose paraphrase of uh, not drunk. And by the way, drunkenness was common in that day. Very, very common, especially in Crete, where people imbibed in alcohol very frequently, and women often did because they were treated so poorly by men. Now, it wasn't an excuse. It happened to be a problem in Crete because women were treated so poorly in those days. They were seen as a slave by their men, by their husbands, as someone who would bear them children and as a status symbol in society. Get a wife. But they were often treated poorly, and many women in the Roman Empire would turn to getting drunk to ease the pain, the anxiety, and the stress. 
because of their position in society. And that was starting to creep into the church. It seemed that the Christian women were sort of known for that. And so Paul says, you admonish them not to be that way, not to be a drunk. Um, it says here, given to wine, that is, addicted to wine. In our country, we do see an addiction to alcohol. We have more commercials about alcohol than any other place on earth. Now, I don't know how you personally feel about it. I'm not going to go in a long tirade about it. But by the time you are 18 years of age, you will have seen at least 100,000 beer commercials alone. And while that's going on, 25,000 people every year die every year in drunk driving-related accidents. 25,000 a year get killed in drunk driving accidents. And in this part of the country, it seems like nobody cares. You can get away with it. It's up in the legislature. And uh, nobody bats an eye. And that's unfortunate. The concern, however, here for the text and for the Christian, the concern is that as you grow older, as you feel the aches and the pains of life and the loneliness sometimes caused by old age, that you don't take a shortcut to ease the pain by turning to alcohol, becoming known as one who is drunk. Finally, and this is really the emphasis I think Paul is laying for the older woman, that they be teachers of good things, that they teach the younger women or admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Their experience enables them to pass on what they have learned. And principally, though I think that there are places in the church for women to teach, principally they are to teach younger women. They are to teach younger women how to love their husbands, how to love their children. In other words, the older you get as a woman, the more valuable you become. You've got so much influence to give out because of your experience of walking with Christ that you have the ability to teach the younger women how to treat husbands, wives, and uh, becoming a trainer to other people. So, as you read the Bible, and you compare what the Bible says to what our culture says about age, there's very, very much a difference. We would see them as a burden, perhaps. That's unfortunate. We should see them really as a blessing. Which means, the older you get, it means you have to slow down in terms of involvement. Don't develop the attitude as, oh, yeah, you know, I, I used to serve Christ when I was much younger I was involved. I've paid my dues to God's kingdom. You're more valuable now. You're more valuable now. And there's a whole lot of younger people, and maybe you older people should take some of the initiative and put your arm around some of the fledgling Christians or the struggling believers that you see. You might see younger Christians making mistakes. Build them up by your experience. Life certainly isn't over. I think I want to sum all this up by what John Wesley said as he was growing older. This was his rule for the Christian life. Quote, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. In other words, don't stop in your fervor and your commitment to Jesus Christ and love for the body. It's not like I've plateaued now. To keep it up. Father, tonight, we want to pay honor to those in our fellowship 
who have earned their stripes by the years of experience they've had in walking with you. We want to tap into them, Lord, as a resource. We pray that there would be the older teaching the younger, the example setting, not so much a segregation as an integration, the old with the young in our home fellowships, teaching, training, admonishing, living by example, laughing together, crying together, that we would do all that we can as long as we can, as Wesley said. Lord, I pray that those who are young would not be so haughty as to think, oh, we've got a new way of doing it, uh, thus we shouldn't listen to the older men, the older women. Lord, I pray that you'd be all that you want us to be. Lord, I pray that your church would continually be built up in love, the strength of your Holy Spirit, In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. And as you do, do you remember the story? When Solomon's son came on the throne. And he was young. And he had a new opportunity to have a new government. And so he thought, now, how should I govern? Should I govern like my father or should I govern in my own way? Some of his advisors said, forget the old people. Don't, don't worry about your father's advisors. You're a young person. You tax the people. You show them who's boss. You put a, a heavy load upon them. You, know, you kind of beat them into submission. The older men who had been around Solomon for a long time said, don't you dare do that, and gave them different counsel to be more gracious, to be more temperate, reverent, sober. They had years of experience in governing. But this young whippersnapper decided, no, I'm going to do it my way. Me and my buddies got the best way to govern. And so they said, I am going to make my little finger heavier than Solomon's thigh. In other words, if you think he oppressed you, I'm going to crush you. And he threatened to push them into submission and to overtax them. Because he did not listen to the aged around him, the years of experience, the kingdom split. And some of the tribes in the north said, To your tents, O Israel. And at that point, ten of the tribes went north, two of the tribes went south, and the nation of Israel was never the same because a young man did not listen to the wise counsel of the age. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the older you get, the more godly you become. But if you walk with Jesus Christ longer and longer and longer, you are a great asset to us. And so, getting a few lines, getting a few wrinkles, getting a few gray hairs, count them as a blessing, not a curse. You've got something to share, something to add to the body of Christ. All of you have gifts, every single one of you, and God wants you to use them for the betterment of all of the rest of the body of Christ.